Welcome to Corn Stars, a Herpetoculture Network show with your hosts Justin Smith and Joe Phelan. Well then, here we are, episode two of Corn Stars. That was Chris Painshab of Badlands Herpeticulture. What's up, guys? Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exhausts. And the Herpeticulture Network, Herpeticulture Magazine, check all that stuff out. Uh, so we're back for more Corn Stars, which I'm very excited about. I really like this little sort of side side deal we got going on with the show. Um this week or this episode i should say because i don't we don't do this one weekly uh this is our first guest so the way this is going to work is me and joe are going to do like the solo podcast and then when we have guests on it'll be me and chris so chris is sort of like the third host of the little the corn stars crew so uh this week we are joined by our buddy jt fitzgerald from silent hill reptiles the man himself can you hear Hello. us? I think Hello, there might be everyone. a little bit of a delay on my end. What's uh, what's happening? Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, man. So we're here to Is talk about corn snakes. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell if there's a delay on my end or not. No, you're, you're good. You, you're you're, you're oh, sounding okay. a little, uh, little oh. shaky, but you're good, man. I got you. All right, yeah. So, uh, I can firmly say that that JT's availability list is one that I check at least weekly, whether it changes or not. And I don't do that with a lot of people. And he's he's doing some really killer stuff. I know Chris has a handful of his animals. I've got two, and definitely plan on getting more. I'm really excited about what you got planned for the, the upcoming season and stuff. Um, but we can sort of jump right into it. Uh, so starting Silent Hill Reptiles and, and why corn snakes? I mean, you do dabble in some other stuff, but corn seem to be the main focus. Is that accurate? Uh, Yeah, we started out with corn snakes. That was my first snake that I had gotten in 2017. So I'm really new to snakes. I don't have the same history of, like, I grew up with, snakes and having a bunch of snakes and reptiles as a kid i mean i had like a box turtle here and there like you just kept in a tire or something outside for a week and then you turn it loose once or twice nice so i don't have a whole lot of history with reptiles before getting into reptiles and then you know how it is when you start out you just go and buy everything you can find oh yeah so Obviously, I went and did that with a bunch of different corn snakes and then grew them all up and then started breeding them. So I at least have an idea of, like, what they look like as they age a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Instead of just finding random Craigslist snakes to breed. Though I did actually do that for my first pairing in 2019. It was one that someone had given me, and then I found a female Amel off of Craigslist and paired the two. So my first pairing was just a Mel's. Nothing fancy. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, that's a good uh, it's a good place to start, though. I mean, real pretty animals. Most AML line stuff is real good feeders. So, yeah, the AML stuff like it just sells really well at local shows. Like, it, it's a great first pet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at my, at my last show, uh, you know, I had a little bit more complex gene stuff and every kid that walked by that saw some of the AMLs or the AML Tesseras was just like, that's the one. And I'm like, wow, yeah, you're right. It is. Take it. Perfect. And they're just like, I want that orange snake. It's like, yeah. okay, well, <laughs> it's like the cheapest one of the morphs. There you go. <laughs> good good, uh, good entry level for kids and, and also for just like, like you, first timers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I explained it last show, but uh, as far as morphs and stuff go with corns, like I'm, I'm pretty new. You know, I have a lot of, lot of, lot of stuff has changed, so um, I'm still sort of it's getting a, a feel for experience. for those. Yeah, now I gotta sort of relearn basic genetics again and stuff because that's never been something with what I bred in the past. It's never been something I've been really been concerned about or had to keep up with. So it's uh, it's exciting new territory. So being that you started with corns, do they still got you? You still, you still, you know, I, I know a, a bit of your collection, but is that still your your jam? You still in love with them? Oh yeah, I think I went through and counted. There's probably close to fifty corns for holdbacks and adult breeders now. Nice. So yeah, I've gotten a lot over the years, but then holding back ones that I've produced also. Yeah, and you've you've produced some absolute bangers. I mean, some of the stuff yeah. that you're, and, and you're just hitting that spot in your breeding line where you're breeding stuff that you've produced into your own line now. Uh, it's special, man. That's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gonna be nice to actually like start breeding back like more of Hannibal's kids to like Hannibal, which, if you don't know like the history of Hannibal, he was actually my third snake that I got. And I actually got him secondhand from someone that he didn't fit into their breeding program. Oh, and he's sure like my main breeder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they're regretting that. So tell yeah. us about Hannibal. What a what what morph is he? What lineage is he? Uh, he, I got him obviously secondhand, like I said. But after I got him, I found out he came from Walter Smith. Yep. Uh, Walter Smith's Captive Creations, I think it is, and then. Probably like the week after I got Hannibal, I got one of his clutch mates and then a half sibling also. So I kind of had an idea for breeding or they just look slightly different, but still close to how he looked. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Hannibal is a caramel sunkiss, supermass, diffused Miami. Nice. It's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. And then he's but- Hetzender also. Turns out that's also awesome. That's my biggest concern when I start breeding the multi-gene stuff is, is like, I mean, I'm obviously going to be talking to both of you about it because keeping track of that stuff, it's like, how do you, how do you freaking do it? It's and not say, easy. And say it with certainty that you know, like, or you have at least a, a decent idea that this is what's genetically under the hood, so to speak, with particular animals like that little female that i got from chris that's like head for like four or five different things like how do you know like it may, it'll i'll learn it at some point but like how do you know that's what you got going on test breeding yeah 
I mean, I'm still working on test breeding Hannibal, and I think I'm like seven pairings in and still figuring out what he is. And that the, the thing that's kind of become uh, recent knowledge in the hobby is that super mask and diffuse gene separation. Uh, whereas you can see the mask happening in the first generation, and it'll kind of act like a diffuse corn snake uh, to different levels, but you won't get that diffuse gene in there unless because it's it's simple recessive. Yeah, it's not that easy to tell the difference between them. It's kind of almost the guessing game. And, and as far as I know, uh, and what I've been told and seen, most diffused old school blood red corn snakes have super mask, or at least you know some people call it het mask and mask super mask, uh, and, and there's a little bit of scrupulation in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may y'all may get into it in a, in a specific episode, but yeah, that's a that's a really cool gene set. And, and, and you know, obviously Hannibal is is, is a is a prize animal. He's, he's a beautiful critter. Yeah, I'm trying to get away from using the term blood red because it's not that exactly. really great of a descriptor. And you have multiple genes, and it's two different modes of inheritance between them. Yeah. So yep. you can't really say it's het blood red. Like if nope. you're a vis- visual mask and it's het diffused, you're not really going to have het blood red in there. Exactly. And, now, and, and, when you say blood wet, are you talking about or blood red? Blood wet. Uh, are you talking about like the original blood red stuff, like what they call yeah, the old so, school blood red? How does that compare to the the what's not? So blood red is a combination of mask and diffused. Mm-hmm. But they're two different genes and different modes of inheritance. Exactly, and also. I got you. To be a true blood red, it has to have the original lineage from that line, because uh, they they pulled that gene out and realized it that diffuse was its own thing. It's funky, man. And then once you start getting into the pied stuff, that also doesn't work because you can't you can have a pied diffuse. You have to have diffuse to have pied, but diffuse mm-hmm. to diffuse doesn't mean you're going to get any pieds at all, even if they're both pied. Yeah, and you throw motley or stripe in there, and it just complicates <laughs> things even more. <laughs> Oh man, get you a motley, uh, a motley tessera diffused mask, and it's just like that's a red snake. Yeah, I mean, it's like everybody that has worlds first. Well, congratulations, you have a white snake. Yeah. You have so many genes in there canceling each other out. <laughs> if they become bass bait, yeah, I got a good friend that says that. Yeah, that's a, a good good strip. You end up with a a real mess. Uh, being that pile of genes coming out of Hannibal, uh, what were those first couple pairings that you did with him? Uh, the first one was in 2019. It was to a half-sibling, and it was a Caramel Miami. And she ended up being het for Sunkist and Cinder. So my first year breeding, I produced the Caramel Shatters. Hell yeah. Yeah, and I have a, a pair from that pairing, uh, a pair of Caramels. And then one of their brothers just produced this year two clutches for me. That's right. Yeah, you produce more caramel shatters. And then the sister, I'm hoping she might actually ovulate this fall. Nice. So, yeah, and if, the, if she does that, you put her back to the brother, you'll get a honey shatter. Probably going to put her back to Hannibal. 
to see if there's any other hidden genes in there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now you're getting into the next more step. line breeding it. I'm all the, the one the, the one morph you don't want in there on that particular pairing is probably Amel because then it'll start making things real hard to notice. Yeah, it'll make it more brighter. No, well, now out of for both of you, like out of the the pairings you've done, how many times have you had something pop up in a clutch where you were like? I was unaware that that was hiding under the surface. You can go something first. Pops, oh, okay, uh, pops out you weren't you weren't expecting. So I had uh, my I have an old school female blood red pied. Uh, so she's diffused pied. She's also a super mask, and we we knew that going into it. Uh, and I paired her to a charcoal tessera that was pos het blood red, and to my surprise, I got charcoals. Um, which was a really good surprise because I was working, I think JT, me and you talked about this. I was working towards pewters. Now I didn't get any pewters being that that would be a one in 16 and I only had eight eggs, uh, but I did get a charcoal test and a, and a charcoal and the charcoal test is masked as well. Uh, so that, that worked out great. And they also proved out the uh, head diffused because I, I produced some Tessera, uh, Tessera diffused, some diffused and then some masked stuff in there. And yeah, I held that whole clutch back. I want to say I've had like five random hidden genes pop out. There's a lot. Yeah, I had a ghost that I bred to a Ultramel this year that was head anery just to see what would come out, and I got Amels uh, <laughs> and Ultramels and Snowtramels and Snows. And anyways, yeah. So there, it, there's all, man, it's really hard to find corn snakes that don't have Amel in them already. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's just, and it's really cool to work with corn snakes that don't have Amel in them. Uh, even though Amel is is a compounder to a lot of genes, it makes some. I mean, butters are beautiful, and, and obviously a lot of your your snows and, and, and snow dremels and stuff like that are, are beautiful. But yeah, there's there's so many so many things going on. And do you think that's just a result of that being one of the base genes? It was one of the first genes, right? So it's just been bred into everything. Yeah, I think I, I guess if you're dealing with something that's like the first first thing that's come up in corns it's it's bound to be everywhere yeah, yeah. and it's it's really hard to sit there and tell yourself okay uh I, I found a new gene right like obviously not i did but somebody comes across a new gene well what does it do with amel what does it do with ultramel what does it do with tessera what does it do with mm -hmm. some of those first steps uh because those those the the morphs that directly impact the melanin uh are the most striking right like so you're gonna know that the second it comes out I'm a sucker for candy canes, man. <laughs> and that's, as far yeah, as like AML stuff goes, sign me up for for the canes. I, I, yeah, I actually have one coming next week. <laughs> nice, uh, Justin. I'm with you. Uh, I remember, you know, 2000, maybe 99, 2000, mm -hmm. 2003 area where candy canes were everywhere. This was before Tessera was really even in the hobby, and you'd had candy canes, candy cane motleys. Uh, and, and you know that was originally Miami lineage animals that were just line bred AML, and they just looked great. And, and originally, they thought there was another gene in there that was increasing base melanin that was making a more white base animals. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it kind of turns out it was just a line bred line bred thing. Uh, to best of my knowledge, again, I'm not like the pro on any of this stuff. I, I wish I had taken a picture of the adult they had at the table at Daytona because I got a candy cane tessera male 
And as soon as I saw it, like, I was on the fence about buying it. And then for whatever reason, I hadn't seen that adult they had on display there. And that's when I was like, I got to, it's got to happen. Like that retained that white really well. And I mean, it's Tessery, but Tesser and anything, it looks awesome. Yeah. So. <clears throat> but um, how many clutches did you produce this year? I think it was at nine this year. Okay. So right around nine or ten is about where I feel comfortable comfortable for what I can keep up with, like cleaning mm-hmm. the baby every day because they make a mess. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It, there, there's a Danger. there's a, a sweet spot, and, and, and you know I know you you have a job, you you have a real life. Uh, there's a sweet spot somewhere in there, like a hundred to hundred and twenty five snakes, where it works. Yeah, I mean you're getting up and taking care of like half the collection before work and coming home taking care of the other half the collection and then we have a lot of other animals here too on our little farm yeah and you don't just have snakes and you have you have some other stuff as well right uh we have chickens two different kinds of quail uh the mice colonies to help feed the snakes uh we have leopard geckos beardy 12 crusties and gargs let me get a shout out real quick to Gargoyle Geckos, the best of the best of the best. Thank you guys. <laughs> so, do you uh, you you said you use the mice for feeding on the snakes? You end up uh, ever end up using any of those quail? What was that? Do you uh, ever feed any quail to your corn snakes? Oh yeah, the uh, corn snakes love button quails. Oh yeah, they're more comparable to like a large or jumbo mouse. Mm-hmm. It's like where they max out in size. Yeah. What about eggs? Do you offer them eggs? Oh, yeah. The corn snakes can eat Caternix quail eggs. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cool. Like, they get a couple inches down the throat, and then you hear, like, this really loud, audible crack. (laughs) That's pretty cool. I need to get some more. Yeah, my beards, the beard rats really enjoyed them. I had, I gave it to some of the corns, and most of them had no interest in it. There was, I think, one of the wild-caught males was, like, halfway down one, and then I opened the tub and spooked it, and he backed out and never came back it's to it. It's definitely something. It takes them a while to figure out, like, hey, uh, this is actually a food item. Yeah, I, I fed uh, Dale chicks some of my, my bigger horns, and they're, man, they, once they figure it out, it's it's game time. Oh, yeah. And then you get so that awesome almost- food. Almost all my breeders, except for one, will eat mice, rats, quail, chicks. So they get a nice variety. And then there's just one girl that's stuck on mice, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're talking about feeders, what uh, what kind of a feeding schedule do you maintain? And let's talk about babies all the way to adults. Um, babies, I'll start off doing every five days or so. And then... Probably once they're about on like double pinks or fuzzies, I'll start cutting them back to every seven or ten days, just so they're not like getting power fed all the time. Or oh yeah, because the babies have a super fast metabolism, and then they're just eating mm-hmm. pinky, just nothing really. And then my adult males, most of my adult males are getting hoppers every two weeks or so. Yeah, like I'm not even feeding them adult mice, like. They don't need it. Yeah, they don't make them fat. Yeah, I cut my uh, adult males back to either uh, like one or two. Sometimes I'll do two hoppers. 
uh, or definitely just small mice, uh, like the smallest out of the bag uh, for every two weeks because they will they put on the weight and when they're not breeding and they're not running around their 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 cage all the time, they they keep that weight on. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And you definitely want a smaller, like thinner male to mm-hmm. keep them more active and looking for the females. Like during breeding season, you don't want a fat, sluggish male. No, yeah, big, big lazy snakes don't do don't do well when it comes to breeding. So what's what the uh, what kind of a, yeah? Uh, do do you do anything different with your females? The females are like a whole different schedule. <laughs> Like right yeah. now, I'm bre- I'm feeding them off for uh, brumation right now because mm-hmm. I'm going to be starting that here real soon, which I start mine a lot earlier than most other people. Yeah, so we'll yeah. get get into that. But what's as far as the feeding schedule, like, and it, before you go into into the cooling season and stuff, what's your your normal feeding schedule with the girls like? So right now, I'm feeding them probably like every five to seven days, getting them nice and fed up and then Mm -hmm. cutting their food back for i do two weeks and then cut them off of heat and then move them to like a different side of my garage for two months and then i bring them up december 1st start feeding them heavy pretty much every four or five days for a month and then that first shed after the first of the year is when i start pairing them yeah that is a different yeah, and that's then, good that you catch that early too. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm a little bit ahead of like the market and everybody else that is selling corn snakes in June and July. I've already got most of mine sold. Yeah. Well, you yeah. also have the benefit of like real winter. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't <Right>. help. <laughs> we don't really have a real winter down here. It just it gets cold, but not like cold, cold like what you guys have. So. I'm sure being yeah. able to keep them cooler for those for two months instead of the standard, you know, three or whatever, uh, that that extra that that serious cold probably makes makes that a little more easier of a transition. The beginning of October, when I move them out of the snake room into the other side of the basement, it's probably around sixty degrees in the basement already. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! So yeah, they get down to fifty fifty five by the probably about beginning of november so they're down for 50 55 degrees for a month that's and great does it, yeah does it stay pretty consistent with that temperature or do you ever get any dips lower than that um not in the basement okay because that's kind of my my struggle at the moment is i want to put mine in the garage this year for brumation because I think it will, like, listening to Clint on Colubrid and Colubroid Radio talk about, you know, if they're not, cool, like, cool, cool, then they're still metabolizing things, but then they're also still at a cooler temperature, so there's kind of this weird in-between of where they should be for brumation, so I thought about moving them into the garage, but then I worry about it getting, like, the nights that it gets, you know, near freezing or below, which is not often, um, but then having to like pull them inside for a night or something and then put them back out. And so I don't know. I'm always curious as to how people are doing that. Cause I was putting them in the closet, which got cooler, but not cool enough. I don't think. I want to say Joe Phelan had his drop down near freezing before. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, he was up in North Texas, uh, and, and yeah, I think I think that exactly that happened. It's weird, you know. Texas is totally different. We've I've got to absolutely set up a simulated uh, brumation closet with a uh, air conditioner uh, if I want to see any temperatures below like seventy degrees. It's it's not going to happen. Now we we have cold days or cold spells, but it'll be right back up at eighty here. So you do a you do a shorter brumation then. Your brumation is not real long. Uh, it's two and a half months or so. Okay, well, that's also with the time you're pulling them off heat and stuff as well. Yeah, that's, so yeah, mid-September, right. I'm getting them off of food, and then October and November, they're fully cooling down, and then yeah, December, beating up again. And so, and you do, you know, I've kind of noticed as well, some species, they'll ovulate right out of brumation, but corns are kind of like, you wait for that first shed. Sometimes it's the second shed, too. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it takes a while. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely noticed there's, like, the girls that are up higher in my snake room, I have everybody in tanks on wire shelves. So the girls that are up higher, they start cycling, like, a week before the girls that are a foot or two below them. So just those couple degrees makes a difference. That's one thing I was, uh, maybe a good segue. You keep different than a lot of people. Uh why don't you tell us about, about that and what your uh, methodology is behind that? It's just how I started out. I was putting everything in tanks, and they were on, like, the standard, like, wire rack that you can buy. Mm -hmm. So now I just have a wall of shelves and snakes and tanks. It, it's kind of cool, though. You get to go in and see your animals. Yeah, it's great walking in, and you could just, like, do a quick check through everything. Just like walk through and see them without having to pull open each drawer. Mm -hmm. Now, now with that, what are you doing to heat? Are you doing ambient or are you doing uh, specific? So most of the time I'm doing ambient. I try and keep it 78 to 80 most of the time. Yeah. Um, when I'm feeding up the girls, like for December, I actually give them extra heat so they could process the food a little bit better. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's the last thing you want is getting regurges. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be bad. Are you uh, are you utilizing with that any kind of light or just using room light? Uh, mostly just room light. I'll start turning it on a tiny bit earlier or leave it on later to give yeah. them a little mm -hmm. bit extra light. But you can also do that. Oh, go ahead. When you're actually cooling, are you are you keeping them in the dark, like the entire time, or is it sort of business as usual? It's, they're just kept at a cooler temperature daily. It's not full dark. I mostly just do temperature drops to get mm -hmm. them cycling. Nice. Yeah, that's that's one thing. And, and you know, anybody that's that's listening to this, kind of getting into corn snakes, kind of specific to not only corn snakes but, but the Gatula complex. Uh, in the wild, they stay pretty active even when it gets cold. Um, mm -hmm. we, we say we use cold as a loose term. You're not probably going to see them outside when it's 40 degrees, uh, but they're 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 a very active animal, and you know we find them even here on 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 days that dip into the low 50s. Uh, sometimes you find them out during the day and night, uh, and that's you know we have uh, mealworm here, but they're uh, closely related. Um, so yeah, it's something kind of special you can do with corns. You don't have to put in, uh, you know, it's not alternative that you put down for four months in a dark closet at 50 degrees. Mm -hmm. uh, they're they're a little bit easier to start uh, 
start ovulation in them. Which is probably why I started with them. Also, and that, that's another great thing on corns. Not only are they like a great way to kind of start experiment with breeding, getting them started. Babies are usually pretty easy, uh, but they're, they're, they're not as taxing on your own. You know, you put all this work into them and then you put them down for all this time and then, you know, might have a breeder die or you might have a mm. female come out and not ovulate or miss an ovulation. This thing's done for the year. Guess what? You're waiting another year. Uh, you know, I missed a couple and, this year. Yeah. And, 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 you know, even sometimes with corn snakes, they get that second ovulation when they're getting ready for a double clutch. Around that time, if all your females are on the same schedule, sometimes you can pair up those ones that you missed on ovulation. It doesn't always work, but but it can happen. See, maybe that's something I learned from, from the chondro thing was, like, I, what I did with, with breeding my, with the corns, you know, this year was... Pulled them out of out of out of cooling, fed them up. Uh, I think I put the male in before the female's first shed. Like I got him in there early because I'm a firm believer that he's gonna know when she's ready, and when she's ready, she's probably gonna let him do his thing. So I don't I don't know about you guys, but it's it, to me it seems like there's no such thing as putting the male in too early unless they just haven't been fed yet. Exactly. Obviously, you're not gonna put them in like warm them up, and then that night of that same day that you put them back on heat and stuff you're not going to throw the mail in but after you fed them up after a week or two like i i keep the put the mail on there and then and leave him in there to do his job and then when i notice that she's she's gravid or or something's happened and then i'll pull them or i'll separate them to feed for a couple days put them back in but yeah absolutely so i do my corns a little bit different like i just put them in a tub together Mm -hmm. pretty much within five minutes you'll see if there's going to be action between them and yeah. i've noticed if one of them poops you're pretty much not going to get any action for some reason <laughs> that's true <laughs> I, or, I don't know why it's yeah. just what i've noticed it's like they immediately crap and you're like all right maybe we'll try tomorrow yeah i but, uh, you know yeah i've had a, i've had some females that I swear I throw a male in and boom, they're locked up and it's perfect. I get the cool pictures. You get the post on Instagram, like, you know, coming, coming this season, new pairing. And then I've got mm -hmm. the ones where you throw the male in, the female's terrified. You leave them in there for a couple of days and still get eggs. Yeah. And that's, that's how it was for, for my pair was I saw the male was clearly interested because when I put him in, he started doing the herky jerky and uh, I was like, okay, cool. Like he's, he's into it. Obviously he's male. So why wouldn't he be? Um, yeah, but I never saw him actually lock or anything like that. And I noticed when she was gravid, and I was like, "Hell yeah, he did the job." <laughs> I normally leave the males in with the female for a half hour, and if nothing happens, then then I just try again in three or five days or a week, or next time like a rainstorm's coming through mm -hmm. and like the oh, yeah. pressure drops, just toss them in then. Yeah. And see, you don't you don't have as high a humidity there as me and Justin have, uh, so those barometric pressure changes are, are a lot more intense. It's pretty high here, actually. Okay. It's always high here. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say it's it. I, it's, <laughs> I cannot get my house under fifty five percent. I can't. It's not possible. I think in the winter, my house is somewhere around thirty to thirty five percent. It's not, I mean, during the winter, that's actually really not bad. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm still getting full sheds from them. And we were talking about uh, like human hides and lay boxes and stuff the other day on Instagram. Do you you give all your females human hides? Which I'm going to say human hides, but I'm going to say that's also going to mean lay box because it's the same damn thing. Yeah, they use the same thing. But every one of them gets them, and they're probably in there half the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they shed, they go in there. They After they shed, they go in the hides. They eat a meal, they go in the hides instead of yeah. the hot side. <laughs> yeah, those, especially gravid females, they, they, I mean, you, you got to put like the mouths like right outside the tub uh, when you know they're gravid because they just stay in there the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So what I've been doing with babies is I just leave the on the because I put little mini human hides in there and they've actually been using the hell out of them. Um, but I'll put the mouse on just the rim of that because it's just a small circle cut in the middle, like not a big one. So there's plenty of like a half inch or so inch for me to just lay a pinky there and then I just drop feed it on there and come back and it's gone. So it actually works twofold. Like it's it's been very helpful to have not have to put it on a little plate or lid. So, I uh, stopped giving my males humid hides because they just like throw the lid off and then I have like spag yeah, them yeah, off yeah. all over the tank. Yeah, I can't keep my males calm during the breeding season. Hell, most of the time they're wild. Uh, they're always moving, always cruising. Uh, I always get in there and I mess up their tub a little bit and mess around with their aspen and, and you know, then they flatten it all back out. My males, a lot of times, they like clearing a spot like on the bottom of the tank, like no aspen around them. And then they just curl up in a little ball at the front of the tank, like right out in the open. They don't really care. Yeah. That's awesome. So so you said you produced about 10 clutches this year. What was your favorite clutch? I mean, obviously the honeys are some of the most yeah. favorite. Stuff. <laughs> but I'm also a fan of Miami stuff. Yeah. So, uh, why don't we? You didn't. You didn't say the actual favorite. You didn't talk about your zombies. Why don't you talk about the zombie corn snakes a little bit? Yeah, explain Those that to me cool. a little bit, because I'm I'm I remember reading about them, but I'm still I don't know exactly what's going on with with that that morph. I think it was 2018. I had read about them and seen some pictures on the corn snake form mm-hmm. from Carol Huddleston. So yeah. me and my wife who like the other half of Silent Hill, we were like, okay, if we come across these, we'll buy some. And then she had seen Carol posted some on Facebook. She's like, all right, let's buy some now. So we got a trio of the zombies, and they're like a really reduced red and no saddle borders. The head fades to like a really pale gray, like a zombie as they age. So each sedge cycle, they lose more and more of their head stamp. Yeah, they're they're really weird. I think now I may be wrong. It's that's Carol Huddleston over at Low Belly Exotics. Yes, uh, I think Out in she, California. Yeah, I think she got her original animals also from Walter Smith uh, on the zombie line stuff. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I think I, I think it, she created the zombie line. Uh, she she may have or or that. Or coin the animals. term. Yeah, yeah, came from animals that he had originally produced. A lot, a lot of your Miami lineage stuff is gonna is gonna run back to, to Walter. Uh, 
because yeah, the, the, all the zombie stuff comes from Miami lineage uh, with Motley and Cinder animals, but it's that specific group continues to produce that really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's 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 wild looking. Yeah, there's a group of readers where like they just keep trading like animals back and forth for all the Miami stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're we're the next generation of that. We're just gonna keep working with it. But yeah, anything with like a silvery gray background, I just love. Have you uh have you thought about in in, in your in your groupings uh, trying to get a hold of some some wild caught or F one actual Miami? You know, some some I guess that would be Dade County. I'm sure we know a guy. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> Phil would yell at me if I. Uh, but yeah, have you ever, ever thought about doing something like that? Start breeding some of those animals back into wild caught or F one lineage. So I thought about that, but the Miami phase stuff is so line bred now. If yeah. you breed it back into the locality stuff, you're going to be like taking multiple steps back. Yeah, it's like a lot of our uh, our some of the extreme. They call it the extreme Okatee stuff, uh, the Miami lineage stuff, and and the Keys lineage stuff. Those those three lines have been so bred for a specific look. That, you know, it's kind of like dogs don't look like wolves anymore, even though it's kind of the same thing, obviously, I'm sure. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's probably not right. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a really, really interesting uh, look, and, it, and it's, it is it is stunning. Uh, to, to Even just your, your, your base stock Miami phase, which is kind of mm-hmm. you know, what we call it, but that line bred Miami lineage stuff is gorgeous. It's it's just gorgeous. Yeah, my, my dad was absolutely obsessed with Miami stuff back in you know back in the day like just those silvers with that maroon mahogany saddles he was all about and he had some really good looking ones too so but how, but how many people are actually just like still doing just that miami stuff like with nothing else the to it just the locality the the face like is anyone actually of- still just breeding phases to have phases yeah i mean walter smith is still doing it carol huddleston um i think mystic exotics has some miami ish stuff that's mm-hmm. like miami okatee so, so yeah oh go ahead there's a guy tim magnum i think down in florida yeah which he also wild caught stuff and then He's breeding like more locality, like the F ones and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a neat thing, and it's kind of neat to see uh, somebody that's kind of getting newer newer into this, and, and not to use that as a, hopefully not a, thought of as a derogatory term, but you're definitely newer in, in, in the group of breeders, especially with the quality of animals you're producing. It's fucking top notch. Uh, the to see that you're also kind of pinpointing uh, on animals that kind of base out of that lineage. Mm-hmm. Well, like the honey test that I got from you, you know, that has Miami in it. So what is it that that Miami does with stuff like that that makes it so much... Like, if you hadn't paired... If it didn't have the Miami in it, would it be a, a fairly different phenotype? It would be a lot more yellow in it. Okay. 
but then a lot of people also add cinder to mm-hmm. kind of give it an extra Miami look to it. Cinder is a really cool gene, and I, I mean, you have talked about it. I, I got a few cinder animals from you this year. It's a, it's like a deleter of morphs. Really? Yeah. It, yeah. It does some weird stuff, especially to Tessera. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, and, and so Cinder in itself is a uh, simple recessive gene. Uh, so it, it, it uh, if you just had a, a wild corn snake and you had a Cinder animal, brought them together, took your F1s and brought it back, uh, your your base Cinders would kind of look like an anery type. Uh, but it messes with the pattern. It messes with the roundness of the saddles. Uh, and then when you take Cinder and put it to Tessera or Cinder and put it to uh, Sunkiss, which is the fun one that makes the shatter, uh, it really, really, really does some uh, uh, interesting. The Cinder and the Sunkiss make shatter. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's the thing that that you know we need to work on as a, as a corn snake hobby. And, and, and JT, you're you're real good at this. Uh, when you were talking about Hannibal, instead of saying he was a honey, this that this. You said, you know, he's a he's a caramel sun-kissed. Uh, we compound these morphs into new names, right? We talk about snows. Well, snow's not a morph. Uh, right. Snow is a combination of morphs, same L and Annery. Uh, and, and same thing with our shadows. And, and that's kind of where we get confused on certain things. And then we start amplifying that. Like, you get something, I think sulfur is actually a, a three morph, uh, three or four morph, because uh, it's diffused. It's three. Yeah, oh, that's right. It's diffused AML and caramel uh so so yeah there's that's that's one of the really interesting things about this hobby and i, and I see as this generation especially people like us we're kind of taking a step back from that you know we're, we're not calling things just what they are we're also telling you the uh the recipe on that mm-hmm. uh, that's something that's kind of kind of kind of different when you have i think 103 different genetic mutations something like is something that, ridiculous is that what they're at mm-hmm. I, I know it's a lot, and, and and they're finding out. Uh, there's all these little tag-ons. You know, you have your diffuse, but a lot of diffuse have mask in them. And we also mm-hmm. find out that mask has super form, or some people consider it a visual head with a uh, with a uh, to the visual genetics. And, and I'm sorry, I'm not like the genetics guy <laughs> to say the correct <laughs> terminology on that. Uh, but that's cool. Um, so talking about it can all these get parents. really confusing with genetics. I spent a lot of time on corn snake and like looking at morph market, like just looking at the different ways things appear, like mm-hmm. what their names are and how they appear. Lavender is a really tough one to work with, I think. Yeah. Like it just looks so variable between all the different animals. Mm-hmm. And that's and- another project we're starting on soon. Oh yeah, nice. what what uh what's your lavender uh, group gonna look like? Um, so far we have an orchid, which is lavender and sunkissed, and then we have okay. a lavender hypo, I think, on the way. Okay. So this That's is mostly cool, yeah. like a side project that she wants to do. <laughs> the the lavenders so, are neat. Uh, some of that lavender stuff can be a little tough to get started. Uh, not entirely sure what it is. Some. Some lineage, some groups, some morphs just have babies that are a little tougher. Uh, you get a little bit of Keys lineage in there, and they like to eat lizards. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the original lavenders had issues with kinking also. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I remember reading recently. That was, uh, you know, that, that's kind of 
it's kind of an interesting thing though why, why is that you know what i mean is is this animal is it is it an actual genetic thing in there that's causing the kinking or, or can we go through or yeah i mean uh too humid of incubation too dry of incubation too hot of incubation uh pick your poison these animals come from literally you know 30 percent of the united states or so i don't again i don't know i'm not a scientist and 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 so that animal that's in your northernmost reach of the corn snake range up in the New Jersey pines, and that one that's on the absolute southern tip of the of the Florida Keys, and the ones that go even more west, I believe they could go to into Alabama, whatever. A little uh, bit, yeah. Yeah, there, there's. I mean, what you know what I mean? It's like it's like you know some other species kind of bull snakes go down into Mexico, go all the way up into Canada, uh, mm-hmm. right right through the middle, and it's like. Wow, could these animals not be more different? Yeah, and I, you know it's 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 funny too because I didn't even really plan on on pursuing the morph thing with corns in any serious capacity. I was planning on just doing the locality stuff, and then I started looking at JT's uh, <laughs> availability page, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, I, I think I, I think I it's like, my hey, own. I got this pair of birds, man. <laughs> in one of our original group chats, I think these 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 guys have seen. Those uh, caramels I got from you start from when I got oh them all. The way. <laughs> Constantly taking pictures of them. Oh, they're, they're, I love so them. Nice. I love them. Caramel is an interesting gene where it takes time for that to really mm-hmm. develop. Like at a year old, they really start to shine. They yeah. don't look like yeah. much as babies. Caramel is one of those genes I'm excited to see people like you working with because you're not only working just with the gene uh, in your collection, you're also refining it a little bit. You're, you're keeping back certain uh, specific specimens and mixing it into certain things. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you're on the verge of any world firsts because I know you've got some possible like five gene capabilities coming up. Uh, it's going to be. I honestly don't want a world's first. <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't know if it even, you know, there's there's so many different combinations now. Uh, is it even recognized anymore? You know, I would say I, it I seems like with ball pythons, it's like you instantly get this like pedestal effect where it's right. like I, you're, you know, you're standing at the top of the mountain like in the Lion King holding this world's first. And then with corns, they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And then, yeah, and definitely. It just keeps moving on. They're like, yeah, I was going to pair something like that next year. Like, yeah. But then there's people so nonchalant. There's people claiming world's first, and like they don't even know what other people are breeding in their that's, basement. Like, yeah, that's exactly. what I was thinking. Somebody Just could looking, have looking at all the VMS stuff. Already. Yeah, and thinking yeah. like, how is how are we still finding combinations that haven't been done? And I say the same yeah. thing with ball pythons. It's like, how have we not hit some sort of ceiling in some capacity? But then I, you know, stuff keeps <laughs> popping up. I, I think that that kind of nice niche to be in uh if you're if you're going after a specific project uh, is something like what you're doing jt you you're not necessarily going for you know the scaleless palmetto tessera caramel uh dinker project you're you're refining a lineage that already exists mm-hmm. that is that is great looking right like they're 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 these stunning animals you started out with a great stock and now you're you're you're, you're leading that into uh, a plethora of different things so I think some of the best like gene combos are take like a locality Miami or Okatee or like Keys or something, just like some locality, throw a single color at it, and then like a color modifier like 
Hypo or Sunkist, mm-hmm. just one, and then a pattern modifier, like Tessera or Strike, and right. those are going to be your best looking animals. Yeah, that's 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 uh, yeah, it's a great way to go about it. That's a a, a good way to start because you get to, you get these little subsects of projects in your own collection based off of stuff you produced, and I mean. None of us are out here trying to be rich doing this. We breed for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm breeding stuff so I get to hold back 22 babies and my wife gets to yell at me, you know? So one of my goals for, like, future years is to be fully self-sufficient. Like, produce my own food for the feeders for my snakes. Yeah. So awesome. I don't have to buy, like, food for anyone. Yeah, if you've got the, the space and stuff, I, I highly recommend it. You know, that's what I do. That's going to be it's, quite an accomplishment. It's so much nicer. Like, yeah, it, it depending on how much you want to throw at it with bedding and food and stuff like that, it's still not that bad. But I think it's still cheaper to raise your own, even if you only have one or two racks, you know, depending on the size of your collection, than, than buying in bulk, honestly. I just, and it's nice because you can get whatever size you want when you need it for the most part. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the best thing about it. Yeah. Like, hey, I need day old pinkies. Like, Jake needed day old pinkies because he got the Nerodia. And so I next, you know, when I was cleaning last week, I, I set some aside for them. And, you know, they're sealed in a bag, frozen for them, ready to go. So it's nice that you can, you know, you have the ability to get whatever you need. So we actually started ah. out Silent Hill with selling rodents at shows. Nice. Mm-hmm. So one of my babies I had bought like early on was a picky eater. So I started breeding fancy mice and then we would go to reptile shows and sell fancy mice as pets. And we would cover table and a little bit of extra just selling mice. Yeah. That's, that's real smart. <laughs> Cause uh, so let me we tell all... you, uh, being allergic to mice and spending $500 every two months, is not the best. Mm-hmm. But, but no, then that also gave us a hand. Like, we got to be like at reptile shows, vending, and like getting to know people, getting out there, networking, seeing like the different kinds of vendors at shows, like the flippers and like the people that actually breed their own stuff, the wholesaler. Mm-hmm. Just getting to know like the whole show scene before yeah. actually selling animals. And, and you know, you're not doing a ton of shows. So you'll see stuff that you sell at a price point, which is good for you. And you might, you know, go visit another show and see another guy has your snake on his table marked up 50% or something. And, and it's kind of yeah. kind of a weird thing. I've seen that a couple times now with, with even geckos. And I'm like, huh, it's kind of, it's kind of neat. You know, it's kind of interesting and you know, part of the game though. It's part of, part of kind of what we do. Most as of the people around here, like if they're going to resell your stuff, they do give you credit. Like, if you're at a show with them, like they'll oh, yeah. send the customer over and say, like, "Hey, it was over from that guy." Mm-hmm. But we're kind of lucky with the shows. Cool. We're lucky with shows around here. We can pretty much have a show every weekend within a two-hour drive. That's badass. So we're very spoiled on that. That's awesome. With what you've produced so far, what's been sort of the most popular? Like, what seems to, what what do you seem to sell out of the fastest? So online is a lot of the Honey Miami stuff, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. Shows. So that's kind of that would have been my guess. 
so vending the shows, it's more like Amels and Snows, Ultramels, Ghost. Anneries don't really sell that great at shows. Yeah. Or darker stuff doesn't. Mm-hmm. Stuff that really catches the eye as people are walking by. And then when they see it, is it kind of a price point where they could be like, ah, you know, I could I could kind of buy that. That's not that's not too too egregious. Uh does really well. And not many people at shows are looking for like multi het animals or anything yeah. like that for future breeding. Yeah. Occasionally you'll find some, but not many. I can see Yeah, you get you get a lot of those young kids or, or, or maybe people in their 20s, 30s that are looking for their first kind of pet. And and, 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 and obviously, a corn snake is a great... Uh-oh. I think we lost him. Not row. Now Chris is having technical difficulties. But like he was saying, we have a bunch of different animals. So we have ball pythons and retics mm-hmm. and a few other animals. And I can honestly, like, stand there in front of somebody and say, yes, a corn snake is the best snake to start out with. Yeah. I mean, have like, even with the carpets and stuff that you've got, you know, a lot of people, um, I feel like carpets are kind of that middle step for a lot of people when they're getting a little more serious. Um, and so having that experience with, with sort of that spectrum of, of different voids and stuff definitely, definitely helps. You know, it gives you a much better perspective on why corns are, are ideal for that you know situation. Yeah. It's definitely, like, different steps for different animals. Mm-hmm. Like, the carpets, I would say, are definitely intermediate versus corns that are cover such a large range in the U.S. and they're very hardy. It's hard yeah. to mess up on corn. Uh, what's a what's a gene that you want to pursue or, or do more with, but you haven't yet? I'm really fond of stripe, but I don't have many of them. Just mixing that with with everything, or like if you I, if you went more into stripes, what would you be doing with it? I would mix it into the Honey Miami stuff, so that you have like two bright yellow stripes down this gray mm-hmm. snake. Or mix it into like a candy cane. So it's like two yeah. bright red stripes on white. So you just have a lot of contrast between mm-hmm. them. How do you stay focused with the, the projects you've, you've... Like it seems like with so many options and corns, it can be really difficult to sort of pick what you want to... Because I know for, for myself, there's so many things I like in corns as far as colors and, and patterns and the combinations of the, the two that it's overwhelming because it's like there's so much there's so much potential and there's so much things you can do like how do you stay focused on on certain projects long term well obviously space is a limiting factor for everyone mm-hmm. i mean you can only have but so many projects i like the looks of palmettos but you can only do but really so much with them yeah they don't do much for me I mean, they're different looking. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, they just, I don't, I, I understand why, what the hype is all about, but I just, I don't know. I, I have zero interest in doing anything with palmettos or scaleless. Yeah, those two. I am trying to work on some anery stuff, like mm-hmm. lime breed, just a single gene anery to try and get it as black as possible. 
Did I send you a picture of those uh, silver silver Okatees that Abbott had at his table at Daytona? Uh, I've seen them from multiple people. Dude, those things like that that would be interesting to play with and and tie into to something like yeah. that because I like so that he just, brings adults of the, like he brings adults of the different stuff he's selling to show people you know this isn't gonna just be like this now and then it turns ugly later like he the proof is in the pudding like right there he has adults on display so you can see what they're gonna that they actually hold up and and do what he says they're gonna do so I get a lot of compliments on my display at shows and I typically have a 30 gallon tank with like seven or eight corn snakes in there just for the show like i don't house them together all the time but it's just for display and it's right most of the time it's adults of babies that are on the table so it could be mm-hmm. like this is how big they get like this is how they progress through the years like it's gonna get a lot brighter as it ages and a lot yeah, of he, people he, like seeing that he has the adults on the table and then if he doesn't have an adult he has pictures of them so it's it's nice because it seems like it would be very easy for people to to sell something on the table, tell people it's going to look like this in two years, and then then be like, "Psych, you know, thanks for the thanks for the free money." You know. Yeah. So we occasionally get offers for like other clutches, like people yeah. wanting to wholesale or give us a mm-hmm. clutch of babies, and I just can't sell something that. I don't know what the parents were, what the genes were yeah. for like, if they've had any issues, then I also have to put like the animals through quarantine before I can like sell it to someone. Mm-hmm. So pretty much everything except for one single snake has been everything that we've produced. That's awesome. So yeah, that's and kind that, of, Working into that. The one snake I sold was one that I had won at like a carpet fest auction, and he was here for a little over a year, but I just didn't need two or three males of the same genes. Yeah, that's a weird thing in the in the corn snake hobby, and I'm, I'm sure you guys probably already talked about this, but you get hit up for people wanting to just buy the whole clutch. Hey, can I just buy that whole clutch right when they come out of the egg? Little oh, yeah. do you know they're using it to feed their king cobras. <laughs> what, uh, what about you know i'm gonna oh go ahead justin i was gonna ask about locality stuff if you have any plans on on doing any of that or focusing on any of that a little bit but not a whole lot my theory with locality stuff is if you start breeding for like a certain look or any type of trait you're getting away from the actual locality because then it's your choice sense. of how they look. Right. And you're yeah, getting more into that. like the phase stuff, which I'm really surprised there's not more phases in other types of snakes. It's, you know, uh, it, you get a little bit of that, in like Leonis, uh, mm-hmm. uh and, and bull snakes as well. Uh, you have like your Kankakees and then you have like your South Texas bulls and they're absolute parallels. Uh, well, you can start working on that Kingsville red. Let me tell you, I got bulls from Kingsville that I bred this year. They ain't red. <laughs> uh, so it's, yeah. So is a Kingsville red still a Kingsville snake? Cause they don't look like that there. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I think like it's also gonna the, it's gonna depend on the the natural variation of a species across its range too. You know, when you have more options to play with and tinker with, it makes it a little easier. But you know, when you're dealing with something that looks pretty much uniform across its range, which Leonis definitely aren't. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. Like Miami, Miami locality corn snakes mm-hmm. don't always look like the Miami phase or what you think they should right. look like. I mean, they could look like a normal corn snake from any other place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it, you know, same with uh, Justin. You're working with stuff that's pretty much bordering the Okatee range, mm-hmm. uh, and your stuff compared to you know one of these extreme Okatees. Uh, you know, obviously, yours has a has a beautiful look and, and, and demeanor and kind of size to them. But then you take an extreme Okatee or, or even go into one of these extreme reverse Okatees, and it's just you can see the you can see the beginnings of it. But yeah, it's just not it's just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I don't know. Did you guys talk about coming up on this next season? What you might be real excited about, or, or, or... not yet? <laughs> what are you working toward? Uh, so next season, probably going to be doing a little bit more of the line breeding, like putting animals' kids back to them. Hopefully, working more on the annery projects, um, yeah. proving out a couple more possible heads. I think I have five virgin animals going this year and then i might have like the coonish island rats thrown in (laughs) a couple other colubrids for fun oh yeah um yeah that's something that's really cool that you know listeners should know you can start if you want to be you know a breeder obviously jt your your name is thrown around in a lot of circles now and you like you said you started in 2017 where, where you know you're going to be going into your i guess fifth year uh kind of a special thing you can do with corns you don't have to start with this huge group you don't need to go out and buy a hundred animals uh you can you can start with five six like, yeah. like you said and and kind of start breeding it breeding pretty quick and uh really 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 push to start keeping holdbacks and, and like like you're at you're you're f1 in your own room uh which is a damn good thing yeah it's quite an accomplishment it feels nice like breeding stuff that you produced Definitely. Yeah, it does. It does. Especially when you raised it up. You know, when you started with babies and and you finally bred them, you know, I've talked about that on on THP and stuff a lot. I think I feel like it's so much more rewarding and you feel it's like it's it's all a lot sweeter when you've taken years to raise something up and then finally pair it. And, you know, it's just I think it's that much more sort of special. Sentimental is probably the better word. So if uh, young JT was out there listening right now and he wanted to go to his first reptile show and sell snakes that he bred, what uh, what morph would you say to get started with, or maybe what package would you say to you know buy these? You know, I always say five, get two males, three females. It's a good place to start. That way, if you lose a male or a female, mm-hmm. you still work towards something. Uh, what what would be your your five snake package? That's a tough one. Um, I mean, I'd say if you're gonna start out. A normal like a mel het annery and then like a snow ultra mel is pretty cool because then you get the two different genes that work well with a mel yep you can yep. get ultra mel's or a mel's mm-hmm. and, you can, and then yeah. maybe like throw a tessera in there Te- throwing tessera in is always a good idea 
there is a point where you can have too much Tessera in your collection. I don't think there is. Whoa. All right. I mean, unless you're <laughs> unless you're really not wanting to produce Tesseras. Yeah. Uh, there, but then you, I, I you get I into, a, are you producing super Tesseras or? Yeah, I did Tessera to Tessera this year, and a, a little bit of it was kind of, uh, there was a lot of monotony in that clutch because of that. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and I was like, okay, so 25% of these are, are, are super Tesseras uh, by the book. There's no way to tell. I mean, absolutely right. no way for me. I went through all of them. And then it had Andery in the mix. And, and some people, if you have a bread corn, or specifically bread anneries, you don't know this, you'll have five different colors of anery when they hatch. They don't all come out one color. And, and yeah, that's really anery is just like lavender. Like there's so much variable in them. Well, do you guys know as far as that goes? Because going back to the locality thing, like the Hernando anneries, how does that compare to the the anery that's been worked with? Like, would that if you had paired one of those like F1 anneries to something in comparison to the anery that you can go and buy right now, do you guys know if that would result in anything different? It, like, is there anything interesting about that that natural anery gene? So you're talking about the uh, the Devil's Garden animals? I believe so. I, 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 yeah, Fernando uh, County, I think, is is also it may be Hendry the same County. place, but Hendry, I think, um, might be it. Yeah. Uh, so those animals are, are really neat because they occur in the wild and there's actually a big mm -hmm. population of them. Uh, that's kind of one of those things kind of parallels with the, the red zeppelins. Uh, it's its own thing. So if you're breeding it within itself or back to animals in the same locality, that is what it is. It's Devil Gardens anery. But the second you pair it to another anery, it is that same gene. It's anery type A. Uh, you're going to just get more aneries. But the second you pair it to, let's say you got a real pretty anery pest, uh, and you bring them back, you're going to get 100% anneries, and then 50% of those are going to be tessera, or thereabouts. thereabouts. Yeah. Uh, but it's no longer a devil's garden animal. Uh, it, it, at that point, you, you kind of cut that lineage. Uh, but you may get some really interesting looks because those animals do have a, a really neat kind of bear eye look to their scalation, uh, mm -hmm. some silvers and stuff. I, I was real happy to get some this year and then real sad to find out some bad stuff about them. Uh, but that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, so so that that's the same thing with the red zeppelins. Uh, so you have some red zeppelins. Me and Justin talked about them a million Dude, times. Dude, we got to get some of those. Oh They're my gorgeous. God. I think I'm but, like looking at seeing Glens. Yeah, out in California, his I think hands down his are the best. I know they come from you know uh, Tony D and Trumbauer and, and those guys, yeah. but still the ones that he had for sale were just the best I had seen so far. Without a so doubt. yeah, anything labeled red zeppelin needs to go back to an animal that is a true locality animal to keep it red zeppelin line the second you get it into your fluorescent line your extreme reverse mm -hmm. line you throw an er uh ero test in there it is no longer red zeppelin red that is yeah you're just diluting yeah mm -hmm. now you can take that look and you can go bonkers with it right uh you, you can take that red zep look and, and mix it into other things but you know with with corn snakes we're kind of lucky uh, there's a bunch of really badass reverse Okati lines. Uh, oh man! You know, I, I got some fluorescent stuff, and I have some. Uh, I forget the lineage. I, I have the the reverse Okati stuff that has red coat in it uh, that enhances the reds. Uh, but you know, once you start deriving it out of out of that Zeppelin line, it's no longer red. You you can't have you could never have a test with a red Zeppelin. You know, being being that what we're talking about, 
JT, are, are there any morphs you're still hunting for? Uh, you ready to start that scaleless project? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was uh, something like you covered briefly while you were gone. Oh, sorry. I, I hey, uh, my, my view on scaleless ones, I don't think I've ever talked about it live on air. Uh, I think they're beautiful. I think somebody's working with them. Uh, do it. You're, 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 doing, you're, you're doing the world a favor because people love them, and they really are neat animals. Uh, I, I don't think they're the thing for me. Right, so. Yeah, same here. Not just, if you're keeping reptiles, I feel like the whole point is that they have scales. But what if the thing that somebody fell in love with was a scaleless snake? You know? More power to them. I just it's, I don't know. They're, they're it, looks, it looks itchy, if that makes <laughs> sense. Like when I see them, I just feel like post sunburn, like peeling skin, just itchy. Like please get me some aloe. I don't know. It uh, just makes Makes me uncomfortable uh, to look at him. A close friend of mine uh, at, at Oddball Exotics, um, Kim, is working with some really neat scale of stuff, and, and she's showing me pictures of some of the things that she's got in the mix. And God, some of some of the scaleless combinations are drop dead gorgeous. Uh, I mean, it. I, I. It's not me. I don't know. It's not my. I, something about them throws them off for me because I, I see it, and, and it kind of, kind of freaks me out a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. But they are—they are some of the most beautiful. But but other than that, uh, JT, was there anything? And if I missed that, you could just say it real quick. So if you haven't seen, scaleless is also allelic to micro scale. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then scaleless and lavender looks totally different than a scaled lavender. Really? I don't think I've seen that. So, so the lavender is only in the scales. Yeah, it's oh, part of the like they, the, the prisms and the, the skin, like the iridescence. They look like a normal scaleless. Huh. That's kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, different. That is really different. Uh, but is yeah, there any, any morphs you're hunting down still? Uh, I always want to add more stripe stuff. Mm-hmm. And God, the, the thing, and you know, again, I'll, I'll go on a little tangent. Listeners may not know this. Stripe is a hard one to get to hunt down right because it works on the same locus as motley so if you have a motley it can be one genetic copy of motley and one copy of stripe and you breed it to another motley and you're going to get all motleys uh but if you breed it to a stripe you're going to get half motleys half stripes so hunting down stripe with no motley in it can be pretty tough yeah, and supposedly Motley is a little bit more dominant over yep. Stripe. So yeah, you're going to get even dominant. more. And then Motley can go into its own variation of very, very small amounts of Motley, but of you know completely uh, patternless belly. Uh, or it can be a complete Stripe all the way down the back of the snake that almost looks like a Stripe or a Tessera or a uh, Terrazzo. Uh, and then you got cubed Stripes. Yeah, yep. And then when you take Stripe or Motley and pair it to Sunkist, you get that. Yeah. Because <laughs> Sunkist, even though it's like a hypotype, does a lot of stuff with pattern. But then when you take Motley or Stripe and pair it with Tesser, you get something totally different. So, yeah. Genes are fun. Ge the genetics of corn snakes is beautiful. I know we don't have it all figured out yet, which kind of is one of the funnest things about it. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and then... Like I produced an Ultramel Stripe this year, uh, and it's really, really neat, and it looks exactly like an Ultramel Stripe, but it doesn't have the red eyes of an Ultramel. But it turns out that's something that Ultramels can do, 
And some ultra mills, as they age, will lose the red little ruby and the pupil, which is another weird thing they do. Hmm. Yeah, one of mine is like a light gray color yeah. as an adult now. So it's like a blue iris, and then the pupil has gone from like bright red to like a light gray with like just a hint of pink left in it. And it's weird because if you've ever seen just an ultra corn snake, it looks a lot like an ultra male. But if you take an ultra and pair it to an amel, you'll only get ultra miles. But if you have an ultra male that looks like an ultra and pair it to an amel, you'll get half amels. So yeah, it's kind of kind of a, a beauty of it all. I'm just I'm stuck on the honey stuff, man. That's what I think that's I great. really want to. That's what I want to sort of double down on. And if I'm going to do morph stuff, that's definitely one of that realm I want to stay in. Sunkissed and caramel has two mm -hmm. simple recessive genes. Has has done a, a damn good job of looking great. Uh, that that's a that's definitely a special one. And obviously JT mixing it, coming out of and mixing it with all the uh, the Miami lineage stuff, getting that base gray color really highlights it. Yeah, it just makes the saddles pop like even more. Which is it's almost counterintuitive to the idea. It's less yellow, right? There's less yellow on the entire animal. But the areas that are yellow look that much more intense. Yeah. I'd really like to see somebody go through and line breed a corn snake for high yellow. Mm -hmm. Just a normal corn snake, but high yellow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With, with no more, right? Just literally working towards more yellow, more yellow, more yellow. I think it's totally possible. It just will take some time. And that's the thing. The yellow in corn snakes isn't really apparent until the first, second year. Uh, you know, uh, if you dip into, like, Florida king snakes, the sulfur line of, I believe sulfur is a, uh, don't remember the exact genetic mutation in it, but it's one simple recessive gene. But then it's been line bred forever to just come more yellow, more yellow, more yellow, more yellow. Uh, and and, it, and it, it generates this insane, so you have these sulfur line animals that are just super yellow, but it has nothing to do with the genetic mutation. It's all line breeding. There's any Florida King Snake people out there and I'm wrong, hit me up. Bad lunch, bad culture. Do you have plans for Clover next year? Uh, Possibly. I think I'm putting one of her sons back to her next year if he's willing to go. What's the youngest? So, that's a good. It's a good tangent right here. What's the youngest you've seen a male breed? Uh, eighteen months. Wow. So he was like a hundred and fifty grams or so at eighteen months. Oh man! And he got the job done and everything. Yeah, he had two clutches. Nice. And that's your. Is that the 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 shatter that you bred back in the caramel shatter? Yeah, the caramel shatter I bred back into his mother. What's your uh? You know, if you had a goal weight, you know, everybody says three feet, 300 grams, three years old. If there was one of those three things you were going to say was what you thought was the most important for a female, uh, what would you say it is? I would say have to be weight, probably. Like, I've noticed some girls that were coming up on, like, three years old, or I was, like, getting ready to put them down into brumation, like, just before they turned three. And yeah. they were like 270. But as I was getting ready to put them into brumation, they started ovulating. Yeah. Which you can noticeably see sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I, I've got a female that's 240 grams. She's probably six or seven years old at this point, and she's given me 14 eggs three years in a row. Wow. And, and she ain't getting any bigger. Dude, it, it, she's a little annery. Uh, het, het stripe, het anal. And I don't know what it is about her. I can, I can feed her every three days. The, the first time I bred her, uh, the year going into it, I fed, feed, 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 feed. And she's, she's about three and a half foot, uh, but I, I can't get her over 250 grams. I don't, she just, she's just a poop machine. Uh, so, so, but some of them, there's always these little things in your collection. You're going to be like, ah, that's, it's kind of weird. You're, you're kind of different. I mean, the three foot mark, it's a good standard, but yeah. it's hard to get to that. Like, Mm -hmm. All the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a three foot corn snake is bigger than people think. Uh, three, three feet is a lot of feet. Uh, you know, we it look is. at a two foot snake. And, oh man, that's three foot. I, I got a male, uh, and man, he's he's massive. His name's Mac. He fathered a lot of my clutches every year. I, I breed, uh, and he's he's like four and a half foot. And the dude's got to be in a V seventy. I mean, he is massive. He's like a bull snake. <laughs> and, and, and you know. When I got him, man, I probably got him five years, five years ago or six years ago. He was already an adult. And he was just already a tank. Uh, and he's a sweetheart. He, he's like the best snake ever. It's great. Yeah, length is not really a condition of like how healthy the animal is. Same yeah. with weight. Like I have one boy, he's over five feet and wow. he's 900 grams. Woo! He's a big boy. <laughs> He is literally a bull snake. Damn. Yeah, he's the same size as my like super dwarf retic. Oh man. And, and yeah. you know, it's it, it's funny, a lot of these conditions we talk about them and, and you know, we're all obviously we're not gonna be where we're at without being responsible keepers. There is a difference between an overweight snake and a snake that just gets that size. I mean well, it's just like us. You're gonna have people that are taller or shorter. Yeah. He's got a good body shape to him. But then I have a two-foot corn snake that he's three or four years old now, and he's round. Like, he just <laughs> hasn't grown in length. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's such a, you know, we, 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 we make these kind of care sheets in our minds. And, and we set out these standards. And we say, hey, if you're going to do this, wait, wait this. You know, I've always been a big fan of at least make sure it's three years, right? Uh, I'm more scared of an animal ovulating and generating slugs, which are going to be harder for them to pass, or they're not going to want to pass them, or they're not going to, in their, in their uh, hormones, generate what they need to to pass those eggs, than it is to have an animal that bred a little bit smaller. Um, but also, you need to be prepared if you are breeding a little bit smaller animal. What if you have to palpate those eggs? What if, you know, just, oh man, you, you don't see it unless, you, you know, if you have two or three, you're, you're probably not going to see it. Uh, but if, if you have, you know, a hundred, you're gonna you're gonna notice those little those little tiny things. What are you doing as far as incubation goes? I just put them on a box up on the shelf, as okay. high up in the room as possible, so they're right around 78, 80 degrees. I mean, I have fluctuations in the room. It could be like a really cold day, like beginning of February or April. It could be like 72, 73 degrees. And then other times it could get up to like 83, 85-ish. Oh, wow. So 
most of my eggs are going through like a nice large temperature swing. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing. I think that's actually good. Yeah, I think that's that's not a bad thing to have at all. You know, because I mean, they're it goes back to sort of babying things to death. You know, it's like you have to, and I I'm guilty of it too. You know, like with all cooling down and putting them in the garage and worrying about them getting too cold. It's like, what about the thousands of other corn snakes that are right outside my front door right now that have to deal with the, the, the freezing temperatures? It's like, why am I worried about it? Like they're, they're built for it. They're used to it. They're adapted to it. So like with eggs, I would expect a little bit like fluctuations and natural variation to happen because that's what they would experience naturally anyways. So, yeah. I found if you go to like 65 to 68 days, they tend to be a little bit heavier and like eating more right off the bat. Yeah, just a little more robust. If you push it like 55 to 60 days, then you're like smaller babies and mm-hmm. you might lose more of them. Also, you might might even start promoting some kinking at that point. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a thought... In, in, in snakes, and this goes across a few reptiles, about increasing temperature also increases the color saturation coming out of babies. And, and though I, it may be true, and I don't know if that much research has been done on it, uh, you're also maybe compromising the health of those animals. So it's kind of, you know, six one way, half a dozen the other. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Cause even then, if you did that, it's like at that point, would it be something that is genetically inheritable or are you just, is it just something, you know, like the variations we see in pattern just from, from that aren't inheritable that just happen to be from incubation or certain bacteria or something getting to an embryo. And cause I actually talked to doc Wyman about that, you know, like animals that come out of the egg and they have aberrancies, but they're, they're not something that we know is inheritable. It's just something that's likely a result of, of incubation mishaps yeah. somewhere down the line. And why isn't that an inheritable thing? Like what makes it different than a gene that can't be passed on? And he explained it to me and I still was like kind of clueless, but <laughs> cause you would think like if it's there, then it's, it's written in the DNA, right? That it would be, yeah, it would be able to be passed on, but I guess, I guess not. So, I mean, yeah, maybe it's... if it's certain parameters are met or certain ones aren't met, mm-hmm. it's kind of like unlocking a combination lock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I know. I know the leopard gecko community has a big, uh, a big play on the last. I believe it's two weeks of rumination. Mm-hmm. Uh, they increase the temperatures, and, and it re- just produces much more vibrant animals. But entire lines uh, of leopard geckos, as far as what I've read and seen have been derivative of that practice. Well, if I buy that leopard gecko, I go back and read it. What, what are my results? Uh, when, I, when I incubated, you know, normal temperatures without doing it. To me, it almost feels like cheating. Is it though? We keep, I don't we know. I mean, that's, that's going <laughs> to depend on who you ask, but it's like, I, yeah. I would rather something come out of the egg and surprise me than maybe like, I know if I do this, it's going to change things. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to one of the first things we talked about, uh, starting out with Hannibal. Uh, this year, you said you may be taking some of Hannibal's daughters back to Hannibal. Uh, you know, he's, you said he was a, he, he's a, is a caramel sun-kissed, diffused super mask, uh, het cinder. Uh, you know, with with a female going back to that, um, what, 
what might you see? What what is the uh, what is the final combination of adding actually cinder back into that animal going to look like? I don't know. We're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, diffused cinders are kind of a weird thing, and obviously, sunkissed cinders. Isn't that granite? Granite would be anery and diffused. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you're taking cinder and sunkissed and diffused, which are all generate a pattern specificity, and you're also adding a mask, which is another weird thing that does can vary from A to B very much so. Uh, it could be a, a slight little differentiation on the uh, head stamp, and it could literally give you something that looks like a diffuse right off the bat. Uh, and then adding in caramel, which is also a, a color mutation, uh, might, might see something kind of neat. Yeah, so with that line, I think I figured out there's like five different head stamp modifiers working yeah. in there. <laughs> you got like, sunkissed, you, the you got the fuse, yeah. The head sender working with a visual sunkist, you mm -hmm. can see it on the head stamp. It's weird. Huh. Now, any of those females that you're taking back to them, are they Tessera? Uh, no. Okay, I was going to say, because then you'll be adding in one more, and then, <laughs> then we got to call, call the news. So, yeah, I have a honey Tessera from Hannibal and my honey tester female clover okay he is probably going back to his mother so it'll be a honey tester to honey tessera and then i might put him back to the original girl i use the caramel miami okay so it'll be honey tessera i have a potential for like caramel shatter miami's tesseras yeah so shatter, shatter, the shatter and shatter is pretty cool. Yeah, I know that with the with the shatter tessera, caramel. That's the weird thing about caramel is you may produce animals that are not caramel unless you know both of them are caramel, uh, and you're not going to see it for the first. Well, man, it might be the first year or two. I don't know. So caramel, you should produce if you're doing caramel to caramel. You mm -hmm. should get caramels. Oh, oh, you should get all caramels. Yeah. Yeah. It's not but like it's, carpet pythons where it's like a dominant <laughs> gene. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, yeah it's actually we, recessed. That, that's one really interesting thing about corn snakes is they're so much further ahead in evolution that almost everything is recessive with the exception of Tessera. And there's a couple of other uh, dominant stuff that has like head markers, uh, palmetto being one of them. Uh, it's kind of neat to see, whereas like, you know, ball pythons you might, or, or, or even... Uh, Carpet pythons there's a few other species uh, where you don't really know what you're going to get. And even when you first see them, you might even not even know what they are. Uh, corns have a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool. It's a little bit more definitive. Uh, but man, sometimes that autogenic change really, <laughs> really screws with morphs, man. It, it, it's so, it's so funny. Yeah. One of the things I really like is the green blotched and the halo that mm -hmm. has, like just started coming out. I think that has a lot of potential in the coming years when people start oh, yeah. working with it. And I think it, the green blotch actually like saturates the color even more on mm -hmm. animals. So if you start working it into other things, you might get like even brighter yellows. Yeah. And you know, I, I, snows, snows are like the one thing that 
God, it, you don't, you can't take a good picture of a snow the second you see him in person. It's like, whoa, that's a totally different animal. Mm-hmm. The, pinks, the yellows, the greens. There's nuances uh, you don't that don't don't translate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, snows are really hard to get pictures of. Well, now, like that that annery that I got from you, that female, she has a paler head compared to the rest of her body. Is there anything in particular that's causing that? Not really that I know of. Okay. And, and I mean, it's kind of the sire had a little bit paler head, and it was like mm-hmm. more of a like black outline on the head stamp. Oh, that was that's... the first thing I noticed when I when I got her, you know, out of the out of the box. Was, I really liked it. I mean, it reminds me of the Mexican beards, but I just wasn't sure if there was something that caused that or if there was something else going on that I just was clueless about, but. She's she's gorgeous, man. I like the Spectre stuff in particular. I really I really like. That's another. Oh man, yeah. yeah. There's another one some kind of extra like pink modifier on there. Mm-hmm. I haven't figured out yet what it is. There's so yeah. Looking at pink modifiers, you got red coat, red factor. Uh, you got your JMG salmon line stuff that I believe is multiple. You can have multiple copies of uh, of, of, of of reds that increase that pink. Uh, you have your, I think the Kilo, Kilo Kona, I may be saying that wrong. Uh, your Spectre, Anneries. Mm-hmm. Man, Annery, Annery in itself is one of the neatest genes to be working with. A lot of my stuff has Annery in it uh, because it can tag onto and work differently with different things. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny, you know, Annery, Annery Thistic, right? It, it means something, right? That means it's lacking in 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 uh erythrin and and that is you know obviously we've determined that that's not just not the case in andrew type a and corn snakes there's something else going on with andrew type a uh you know you get your charcoals you don't see a lot of yellows um i believe there's a whole nother andrew type and, and jt you may know uh, uh yeah is cinder and Andri- i think caramel is actually an andrew type yeah and it's baited about lavender too yeah but, and, the, and then is it cinder <laughs> Cinder possibly an anery type? It's listed as one, yeah. Yeah. So, wow, we could do and then all of these anery types can compound in on themselves, which is super weird because they all work together because they're totally different genes. None of them are compatible. I can't take a I, I can't take a, a charcoal to a anery, which is anery type A, anery type B, bring them together and get visuals of either. Right? I'll have double heads. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of a <laughs> there, there's there's so much. We could do this for the rest of our lives, and there will still be more work to be done. Mm-hmm. I love yeah, Andrew Stripes. I'd, I'd really like to see people start working with like a single gene, and then just seeing what they can do to refine it, or change it, or just add a single gene into like a locality, and then mm-hmm. a couple generations of refining it. That's that's kind of you know the 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 one thing I you know I, I do listen to a few I listen to a lot of podcasts, but. Uh, there's a leopard gecko podcast. I'll go ahead and shout them out. Uh, Strength and Leo's podcast. Uh, it's actually great. And I'm not a leopard gecko guy. I, I haven't had a leopard gecko in my position in 20 years. Uh, but listening to these guys, uh, breeders, talk about what they've done. They're taking wild-caught animals, taking these lion bred, and breeding them back and then trying to break it down. Now, they're a little bit luckier. They're breeding animals at a year old. Uh, we're not doing that. You know, two to three yeah. years, two years for a male. And that's and that is that is cooking it 
people need to understand if you're getting into breeding corn snakes, you, you might not be breeding that female in three years. Go ahead and plan on four. You know, you're not doing her a disservice breeding her at four. Uh, you, you're probably doing her a favor. When in doubt, um, wait it out. Yeah, when in doubt, wait it out. Uh, but yeah, the, it's going to be this generation that is going to start doing stuff like that. Now, a lot of this groundwork has been done. The, the problem is a lot of this groundwork that was done over the last 40 years, uh, actually even 50 years of corn snake breeding, uh, is that it's not been documented well. But now with social media, with podcasts, with YouTube videos, with us all talking to each other in 437 different group chats, uh, <laughs> we're talking about those results. You know, I, I get a clutch. And, you know, obviously, all, y'all two know this. I'm hitting both of y'all up, right? Like, oh, JT, mm-hmm. check this out. What do, you, what do you think this is? I mean, you were the first person to see that Stripe Ultramel. I was like, hey, what do you think? <laughs> you were all, what do the eyes say? And I was like, the eyes say it's lying to me. So it's, it's uh, you know, now there's Facebook group. Shout out to Sarah Moore, one of the best people in this hobby that are that are making YouTube videos, books, uh, entire Facebook groups with thousands and thousands of members for us to find out, hey, what do y'all think this is? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now 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 I don't know five people that breed snakes. I, I know 10,000 people that breed corn snakes. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. It can be helpful to get more opinions and more information, but it can also hurt you because then oh, you yeah. get the people that don't know what they're talking about or just throwing oh, labels yeah. on things. Oh yeah. And everybody's an expert, right? Yeah. That's not the, every NML is a candy cane. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and that's, and the one, you know, you know this, especially because you're working with specific, a specific phase of animal for the most part. Not everything that looks like a Miami is actually a Miami phase. And Correct. just because you produce one that looks like a Miami phase doesn't mean the fancy corn snake that you bought at PetSmart is, right? So that's going back to trust on breeders and stuff like that. Is it bad if I think it's it'd be it'd be fun to get a pair of corns from PetSmart to raise up and breed and see what comes out? I think that if crypto is what you want your collection to have, that's a great idea. I mean, Excellent. that's <laughs> yeah. I, I would not suggest buying from any big box stores uh, more than anything, just because the foot traffic that goes through. Uh, God, it would be cool because who knows? I mean, yeah, you have no idea what you got going on. Uh, but you're playing Russian roulette with something like that. It, it, the sad part about it—that's one thing that not enough people talk about in this hobby. Uh, there's there's things out there that, that are that are bad, you know what I mean? Various. Yeah, and, and uh, there's more people out there trying to make a dollar off of what we're doing than there are trying to promote a healthy and happy hobby. Testing is good. Mm-hmm. Yes, what, it is. What's your? How do you go about picking holdbacks? Uh, if something catches my eye, like right out of the egg, then. Yeah, that could be a holdback, or it could just be held back for a little bit until I decide I don't like it. Yeah. You got those six-monthers. Yeah, you want to see just what they're going to do when they start getting a little bit of color. Like some of the Annery projects, like I held that entire clutch back Mm -hmm. just to see how they would develop. I'll tell you, man, those those ones, the ladies on the ones I hatched, they're... uh, They've really surprised me because they came out very dark. 
And so I was like, oh, that's cool. And then those first like two sheds happened. I was like, what the hell happened? Like they've completely sort of flipped and now they're just silver with the crimson saddles. And it's like, this is not what I expected. I mean, I, I was thinking they'd stay darker, but. And then a couple more sheds, the brown's going to start coming in in mm -hmm. the background. There's yeah, some of the of... Miami stuff, you have to wait like five or six sheds before you can really see what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. I remember when I got my first set of Miamis from you in 2019, uh, which was from a charity thing, and thank you for doing that. That's, that's a great thing to see in the hobby. Uh, I'd love to say I remember what the charity was, but I mean, who knows anymore? Uh, it was Carpet Fest. There you I go. Was it was Surely it was a Carpet Fest. Uh, yeah. I, I think I it was one that I, Justin was organizing the auction. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Justin, yeah. Again, yeah, I remember that now. Like that. Yep. Uh, I, I picked out two snakes. You had, I think you had four or five left available, and I picked out two. And you were, and I was like, yeah, I really like this look, and these are great. And you were all, you don't want those two. You want these two. And I was like, <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. And you were like, and, and you literally explained it to me, which was great, because, you know, I've never had any Miami lineage stuff. And as far as corn snakes are concerned, uh, you know, three years ago, or going on three years ago, I was looking at just stuff I liked, right? That, that's how I kind of fell into corsets. I like these things, and I and I had I had my groups and I had my morphs and I had my stuff picked out. I, was like, I really like some of this Miami lineage stuff. And you're like, well, you see how there's in between the saddles, there's this little kind of color right here. You're like, these don't have that color, but you like the ones with color because they add more color. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, get the ones without color. Start with those. And God, they're just absolutely drop dead gorgeous now. Those are some, some of my favorite animals. Yeah, it's like the slight little nuances, like when they're babies, like you kind of have to like raise them up to know what they're going to yeah. look like mm -hmm. as adults. And, and we do ourselves a service as breeders with that first generation, second generation, third generation holdbacks, where I could say, hey, this is the animal that I produced that looked like this. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's, and it's great. Great place to be with that. So, so I think uh, we glossed over it a little bit at the beginning, like the name Silent Hill. So we're based out of Pennsylvania now. And mm -hmm. if you know anything about like the movies or the video games, there was a town called Silent Hill. Well, mm -hmm. it's actually loosely based off of Centralia, PA, where there's like coal mine fires underneath like the whole town and it's basically like a ghost town now oh so uh yeah, I noticed about that. With, with that with silent hill reptiles you, you name a lot of your snakes based off of uh horror characters me yeah, and my wife are big time horror buffs yeah so i gotta say definitely what, like horror movies <laughs> what's your favorite horror movie or, or genre or series i mean favorite movie of all times is probably fifth element oh well that's so then yeah, my first snake was Ruby Rod from Fifth Element. <laughs> Ruby Rod. And then the That's second awesome. one was Zorg. <laughs> what about horror genre? What's your what's your go to? What's the one you put on Friday night? Popcorn's ready. What's what's what do you got? I mean, classic Jason's probably always the best. My man, that's uh, my wife. Her her father are really big into like old school slasher. You know, Halloween, Jason, Freddy Krueger, Scream, stuff like that. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and we'll watch any random, horrible zombie movie. <laughs> any <laughs> B movie. Plenty of those. Oh, yeah. 
I, I started I started watching American Horror Story at work, man. I'm I'm freaking hooked. I took a break from it the last day or two because I think some of my regulars at work were getting tired of watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I know this American Horror Story is good. <laughs> yeah, off subject. Y'all y'all into uh uh the Haunting of Hill House. Uh the, what was the one the Netflix the two Netflix series that came out? Uh mm-hmm. Those were great. Those were amazing. I don't, you know, it's weird. I was never big into horror, but for whatever reason, within the last year or so, I find myself seeking it. Yeah. I don't know if that means I need to go see somebody or something, but I was never big on horror, like especially paranormal stuff, little possessed children, things like that. I was like, hell no, <laughs> like hostile gore and stuff. That was, that was all right, whatever, but. Now I'm like I gotta watch all twenty paranormal activity movies. Yeah, in a day. No, oh, so, so JT, have you seen The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix? I have not. It's so it's so damn good. Justin, watch it with the lights. I on. saw it's, bits it's, and pieces of it. I had some friends that were watching it at one point, so I I'm, I know like the concept, but I haven't watched it actually, like front start to finish. It's one of those ones that's like actually just a really good movie. It's shot really well, really mm-hmm. great acting, and then it also scares the poop out of you. We all need that. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta make sure you're alive. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta feel good. So, uh, I don't know, did, Justin. Did you get what, what's your what's your what's your five to ten year plan? You got a you got an idea of what you're planning on doing? Me or JT? Oh, JT. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Mostly just working on like the lime breeding and the honey Miami stuff. Uh, trying to work on Annery project to get like an all black Annery, oh, and yeah. then she's got some lavender stuff that we're working on, and then just refining like Miami too. Yeah, absolutely. They're getting more color out of that, out of the base, and 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 focusing more on that saddle color. It's awesome. Yeah. And what would you get if you tied Annery into the honey stuff? Surely that's been done. Caramel Annery and Sunkiss. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so a caramel Annery is uh, a pretty looks a lot like an Annery. Uh, it's kind of one of those things that you have two Annery types that are mm-hmm. working against each other. Yeah. Uh, so you, so you have like an Annery Sunkiss, which is like actually pretty cool, uh, but. I don't know if the caramel would have much influence on that. On that, caramel is like subtle in how it does what it does, and then it mm-hmm. enhances other things. I got you. The sun kiss is probably going to have like the most effect on it. Mm-hmm. So many possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> but that That's was gets I back to like that. the equation I said before, where it's like just throw a single color at it. Mm-hmm. Right. To make the best looking snakes, because start adding Baby multiple steps. colors, it counts cancels each other out. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the talking about anneries and going into this, some of the kind of more stunning animals I've seen produced this year were were okatee anneries, were animals that were derived of extreme okatee lineage that had nothing else in it, just okatee, 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 uh, no amel in it, and then were bred straight to an annery, a, a, a single gene annery. And then, and then you know, took those F ones, bring them back because they're gonna, they're gonna have that extreme Ogeti lineage. They're gonna have those thick borders, 
They're going to mm -hmm. have that deep orange. When, when you pop that into anery, it's kind of interesting. A little bit of that yellow is subdued. And, oh, man, what you what you get out of that. It's a good time. It's a good time. I like it. Well, we're approaching, it's about an hour 45 or so. Uh, where can people find you, JT, if they want to get in touch and follow your availability list as closely as I do? So we keep our website up to date the most, silenthillreptiles.com. That's where our availability is going to be. We pretty much don't have anything left right now except for a handful. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and then Silent Hill Reptiles at Gmail. Awesome. If uh, if somebody was wanting to get on that hot, hot Miami honey, maybe mix in some Tessera, do you do waiting lists? We didn't do waiting waiting lists this year. Um, it's a lot of people to contact, and then yeah, they're kind of a pain. Like, yeah, don't bother with them. So it's kind of like we just dropped everything on the website all at once on June first, and it was like, here's what we have: first come, first serve. It was like when the pinata bus opened at a birthday party. Whoever the first <laughs> kid is to jump on the pile of candy gets the. That made it so like people that wanted like nice looking pets had a chance at stuff. Yeah. Breeders yeah. had a chance people at it. Like, everybody had a chance at it. Mm -hmm. And and you know, to, to maybe listeners that are getting into corn snakes, if you want to start out, like I said, I think that five snake collection is where you want to go. You want to start out with some, some some damn good stuff, whether it's JT or you pick a different breeder, uh, which I wouldn't suggest because he makes awesome stuff. Find a breeder that's going to give you lineage. It's going to give you an exact list of heads. It's going to give you feeding cards. JT, I've, I've complimented you on this before. Something you haven't even talked about. Uh, the first first couple of snakes I got from you had detailed feeding lists, mm -hmm. had detailed head information. It was all on a, on a card for me. There was no question as to what that animal is. I still have those cards. Uh, not a lot of people do that. That's, that's Records are really nice to keep. Like, I keep records of who I've paired together and like what has proven out, like what hats and then what hasn't proven out. So I can kind of keep track of like who actually has the genes that I want. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, I think, uh, I think, think you're going to see five, 10 years down the road. There's going to be people talking about, and I'll be one of them. You know, these are, these are kids of Hannibal. Yeah. You know, these, these are, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's, it's you, you've done a really good job of being this just a couple of years uh, uh, compared to a lot of people who have been breeding for 20, 30 years uh, of, of making a really good name for yourself, presenting yourself extremely well. Uh, this is great. I don't have the most experience, but I try and be professional if I can. That goes a long way. You're one of the people out there that's bringing craft into this hobby. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you go to that restaurant and they make you that sandwich they're telling you where the beef came from they're telling you where the eggs farm fresh you know you bring a feeling of that to this it's it's a homely feeling i feel like i know a piece of you just from my, by having animals people people boutique. really blessed to have that in their collection definitely boutique well thank you in the best way <laughs> possible also thank you Logan, to my awesome. wife bindi <laughs> yeah awesome yeah shout out to her i mean she's in on this too yeah. right yeah, we're a pair together. We're enablers for each other. 
<laughs> which could be good and bad i can never decide if that's like the the couples that do it together if it's like a good or bad thing because i can see it being awesome but then i can also see it kind of being really frustrating when you want to do one thing but they have uh, they have been a different idea of a project or so. oh yeah everything like fonts on business cards and <laughs> everything is discussion but then you also have the support there mm-hmm. man from so, thank you know, her <laughs> good, good, gonna keep giving you praise if she's the one doing it uh your, your website your your uh, structure of the font or whatever that design element is, is considered uh your shirts your business cards it, it all clicks man you, you, you're, you're doing great yeah we pretty much discuss everything like the logo on the shirts and she handles most of the website that's she's doing a good job a great job i shouldn't even say good great that's awesome man yeah well uh this was episode number two of Corn Stars. Um, next one will be me and Joe. I don't know what he's. I know he's he's got a handful of things he wanted to cover, um, like each episode. So I don't know what he's got in the works, but looking forward to it. Um, find the podcast anywhere podcasts are found: Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all that good stuff. Um. And we thank you for joining us, JT. And I'm thank glad, you yeah, glad we, we, we made it work because uh, I was a little, little worried there at first. <laughs> yeah, a few technical difficulties. Yeah. Well, the audio on my side sounds great. I mean, mm-hmm. I really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Hey, just y'all remember, land is uh, cheap in Texas. Y'all move down when you're ready. We're welcoming, <laughs> we're welcoming everyone. I could say the same for South Carolina. <laughs> ah, uh, we have alternate here. We got corns here. That's actually very true. <laughs> the best yeah. corns. The, the, literally the best corns, yeah. The best All right, corns. Hey. Corn Mecca, man. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks All so right. much for talking to us, JP. Yeah, everybody have a good evening.